And so now in chapter 12 or chapter 11, we saw the prophecy of restoration. Now chapter 12 is saying how to receive this restoration by how should we repent. So the prophets are all amazing beings, yes? Uh, Hosea and Amos, as the first generation of written prophets, they also have uh, great significance. And it's really Hosea and Amos um, have, have this special place because they are the first. And being the first is always diff more, is more difficult because they have to set this trend, right? They have to set the standard. And so, you know, Zoe Ministry, you know, I also have this kind of inspiration that I am the first generation and as the next generation stands up, I want to wait to see them prophesy and see the result of that. But you know, God is the one who's going to choose who's, who stands and God alone knows. And so let's see. Anyways, I wait in expectation. And I've been thinking like this for a long time. That uh, now I hope that God will uh, give, let me be at peace. That how great would it be if God was to give me peace? And so we'll see. Because it's something that God has to do. It's up to God. It's not some, as if I can control it. And so, who is God going to establish? I have great expectations. And so, let's look at chapter 12 today. So first, chapter up to verse 6, he is the Lord's indictment on Israel and Judah. And so from a new perspective, this, this, this prophecy is, is unfolding. And so through Hosea, uh, through the message of Hosea, uh, if you go through this properly, then you will uh, set God's word as the objective standard, that there is no compromise and that I will live by God alone. That my relationship of a bride, my relationship as his nation and as his child, that this relationship must be firmly established within us and God is going to lead us in that way. And so, with Israel, my relationship, uh, is the, the he is opening up to the next generation of prophets. And so this relationship of a bride, Hosea has been opening this revelation up and it goes to the revelation of John. This is really important revelation that has been revealed. And so uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah also speak of this comparison as a bride, but, but, but Hosea was the one who opened it up. And so this relationship of a bride, when you look at the context of the Bible, uh, it's not the primary relationship, right? The primary relationship is first, first maybe the nation as under God's dominion and then as child. But, but when it comes to the purity of Israel, this relationship as a bride is very important. So especially in these end times that we're meeting with God as his holy bride, as his pure bride. And so this is a really important revelation that was unraveled through Hosea. And so I don't know, 
I don't know who who can reveal the mystery of Jose, how he came about this mystery. It's not like maybe he just all of a sudden received this revelation. And so we don't know exactly how, but Hosea, we cannot explain this mystery, but, but Hosea is the prophet who opened this, uh, this revelation to, to, to the New Testament. And so the church is the bride, is the bride of the Lamb. And the most important thing as a bride is purity. As a pure bride, right? and so let's continue. So in chapter twelve, verse, or so verse chapter eleven, verse twelve. So chapter twelve, verse one to chapter two, verse two, or chapter twelve, verse two is the indictment of the sin of Israel. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. And so, as if Ephraim is is standing as as an enemy army, right? That, and so he's, he's supposed to be intimate with God and, and have this relationship with God. But because he lives by the flesh and he lives by the world, uh, they become enemies to God rather than friends of God. They become foes rather than friends. And so if we live by the flesh, then, then automatically you will be an enemy of God. And so this needs to be uh, received in your heart. You, you need to accept this. That because this is part of reverence. That if you live by flesh, you will surely die. And so don't let go of this for even a moment. Let in your spirit, continue, let these words continually ring. That, and so that I would not even attempt to live by the flesh. I would not give any room for the flesh. That, that, that living by the flesh is death. And so when you acknowledge that and, 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 and you fight and you win, then you will become truly righteous. And so God with this uh, mysterious wisdom that has, has, has unraveled our lives and allowed this sarks to remain so that we can become practically righteous. And so originally God had this good relationship with Ephraim, this intimate relationship with Ephraim, but because they accepted the world, they became the enemy, they became a foe. And so he surrounded them with lies. What is lies? Lies is the, is the, is the characteristic of the life that lives for himself. We need to be truthful before God, opening everything up to God, letting Him continually touch, discern, and shape our spirit. But if we live by the flesh, we are living by ourselves, and so we are living by lies. We are living full of lies. And so being able to open up my hurts, my wounds, my shame, my, my, my guilt before God and, and also seeing how much God loves me, how much I love God, being open in all of these things and, and, and having this free interchange of, of life. But with lies we close we, because of our hurts, our wounds, our inferiority complex, because of our shame. We're constantly hiding ourselves from God. And so this is the state of lies. And so what is lies? Lies is the fruit of that deceit, right? As we see earlier, or as we see in this verse 12. And as it says in 1 John 1, 8, right? Verse John 1, 8 and also 10, that we lie ourselves, we deceive ourselves or we deceive God. And so if you live by the flesh, you're deceiving yourself and you're also calling God a liar. 
So if you live by the flesh, this is a critical issue. This is, this is a critical danger. And so every moment by moment, we need to continue. God has allowed us to not live by the flesh. God has provided every method, every uh, pillar for us to not live by the flesh. And so that's why Paul says that 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 I, that every day I die, I, 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 I put on the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Christ may be revealed through me. And so this kind of life, as Paul uh, lived it, as he says in 2 Corinthians, that, that, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, 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 and so this confession of faith, that no matter the circumstances, no matter how wicked the circumstances may be, I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so as, as you see in Acts, you see Paul, even though he is taken in chains, and even though he's stoned, he still gets back up. He gets back up. This is the mystery. It's because he is completely obedient to the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That is a life that does not respond to the flesh. And so you need to understand how dangerous it is to live by the flesh. So every moment by moment, I think that's the most important verse that, that I've, I've ingrained into my mind in my Christian life, is that if I live by the flesh, I will die. And so I allow that word to ring within my spirit, that if you, I live by the flesh, I will die. And so I constantly maintaining the new self, letting the Holy Spirit leading me. And through that, putting to death the desires of the flesh. And so this is important at all times. More so during wicked situations, more so during unfavorable situations. The, the deeper the darkness, the more we try to respond in the flesh. And so the more it's important to remember these words. And so, but Ephraim and Israel was unable to do this. They became foes to God. But Jews, Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. And so we talked about, right, still walks and is faithful to the Holy One. Faithful is not shaken, right? They are not shaken. They are, their heart is not divided. And so again, what does it to mean to have a divided heart? It means this fleshly state. And so if you are living by the Holy Spirit, if you are under the dominion of the Holy Spirit, if you are one with God, then then God's Spirit is reigning over me and I have maintained that relationship, then I'm not living by the flesh, but I'm living by the fact that I am righteous and I move by those things. But if you're living by the flesh, then even though you may have the Holy Spirit inside of you, because you're living by the flesh, it's as if your heart is divided within you. And because his heart is divided within you, that's why you are shaken. And so it's when you do not have that divided heart that, that there is no shaking. And so we need to continually be welcoming the Holy Spirit, welcoming God who is continually uh, approaching you, continually knocking at your door. That is the new self-state. And But the flesh cannot do so. The flesh is constantly already, the, their goal is in the wrong place. Their desire is in the wrong place. They cannot receive God. But it's when your goal is at God, when you are facing towards God, that that's when you will have an undivided heart. And then what kind of God can they not... What kind of God can, could they not receive if they're living in the flesh? They cannot receive the faithful and the holy God. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is being trustworthy. And so God doesn't for even a moment turn away from you. God, not even for a moment, doesn't, doesn't stop approaching you. 
He is faithful in this. And so, when suffering comes, people think that, why has God forsaken me? No, in your hardship, God is even more faithful. Like it says in 1 Peter 4, uh, 1 Peter 4, that in suffering there is God's glory and He is even more faithful. The, the, the more severe the warfare, God is more faithful. The darker the darkness, God is more faithful. And so He is always faithful. But if we have a divided heart, then we close our hearts to His faithfulness. And so that's where the failure comes. And so when God's when faithful God comes to you, he doesn't come empty-handed. But as David confessed in the Psalms, God, who am I that you are so mindful of me? What is man that you are so thoughtful of me? And so he's constantly approaching you in order to bring about his glory to you. But but if we have this divided heart, we are close to him. And so we need to always have the new self-state, having this pros towards God, being facing towards God. This is what I talked about when we were talking about the, the dynamic of the Trinity. Really, that's all you have to do is continue face towards Him. And if you're face towards Him, he will, he will unfold everything else inside of you. Living by the Holy Spirit needs to be easy. Is it not easy? It truly is easy. Living with God, is if it's difficult, then life is impossible to live. And as I was living, honestly, living, in the, living by the world is difficult. Living with demons, don't, don't even get me started. But living with God is the most easiest and it is the most right. Do you think it's more easier to live with your wife? It's living with the Holy Spirit is easier than your wife. Because your wife, if you want to um, match with her, there are there is going to be conflict. There is going to be things that 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 collide, right? And so living with your wife for a long time, that's not easy actually. And so living with God needs to be easy. And really, uh, it's not making easy what's difficult. No, what's, it was originally easy. Why? Because this is how he created you to live. But why do you feel it's difficult? Because you're constantly living by the flesh and you're used to living by the flesh. Living with God is easy. And so would it be easy to do what God wants or not? It's easy. Even martyrdom is easy when you live by God. There's no martyr who died against his own will. He died in joy, in with a willing heart, and, and filled with inspiration. And so would your pastoral ministry be easy or difficult? No one's responding. Pastor Cho, is your pastoral ministry easy or not? Even pastoral ministry should be easy. If your pastoral ministry is difficult, that means your life with God is difficult. And when your life with God is difficult, that in itself is not difficult. It means that there's something inside of you keeping you from God. Prayer should be easy. Isn't prayer easy? Prayer, what primarily, what, how long you pray is not what's important. As long as the Holy Spirit is holding on to you, you should be able to pray as long as you want. Really, even in my old age, um, if God holds on to me, I can pray for six hours straight. But it's, be it's because you try to pray in your flesh, that's why it's difficult. 
How about preaching? Is preaching easy or difficult? And when I say this to you, I'm not telling you to fall to despair. I'm not trying to make you despair. I'm telling this to you so to repent. Because when you fall into despair, it's not because you are being humble, but because, because you are not repenting. Okay? And, so that's, and you are not being humble, you are not repenting. You are living by the flesh, and that's what you need to see. If you live by God, praying should be easy, preaching should be easy, everything should be easy. So honestly, when I was raising my six children, it was difficult. But now that they're now that they're all older, it's getting easier, right? It gets easier. It's just easy to have a relationship with them. It's easy. It's easy, and everything becomes easy. What is this? This is the Sabbath rest. This is the the the, the, the Sabbath rest, and not this. What else did he say? Sabbath rest. Uh, this is glorification. That's what he said. And so it's like a rocket finally exiting exiting the gravity of the earth it becomes easy and so if it's difficult it's because the flesh is strong and the power of the flesh is holding you down and so anyways let's continue and so there's no nothing to explain that he is the holy one and so let's move on to chapter 12 verse 1 chapter 12 verse 1 the feeds on the wind so if he feeds on the wind, you can interpret this in two ways. First of all, if you eat wind, what does it mean? That they are not satisfied with what God gives. Another way to interpret it is that when they're eating the wind, they're eating something that's vain. And so eating the worldly things is vain. It's like it's as vain as eating the wind. And so, and so they will never be satisfied no matter what they have. If we are in God, everything that we have with God, we're satisfied, right? And so everything is... We are grateful. We are gracious for everything, right? And so if there is no thanksgiving from your lips, that means that there's something wrong with you. Even in suffering, you need to be satisfied. And so the fact that they are feeding on the wind is two things. They are not satisfied with what God gives or and also they are feeding on vanity on the world and pursues the east wind all day long. And so they feed on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. What is the east wind? The east wind is is the wind that, that dried up the, the Red Sea, right? And because they live it, they live by the flesh, they're eating the wind. And not only are they eating the wind, but, but everything becomes an east wind, right? A withering wind. Oh, it, it's, it's all a disaster, right? All natural disasters. And so they multiply falsehood and violence. As we said earlier, violence, what is violence? You're willing to use your strength as long as you're stronger than someone to take what's theirs for yourself. And so anyways, and so what? They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. And so instead of holding on to God, they are relying upon Assyria. As they live by Babylon that worships strength, they are living there. If you live by that, you're going to live by that strength. But instead of that strength giving you success, that strength takes away from you that oil. And so no matter how well you may live in the world, it's not going to be beneficial to you. Rather, it's going to be the source of your demise. And so, so whether you believe Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. If you're living in the world, 
Even if it, you may think that your life is beautiful for that short instance, it's going to end in pain, it's going to end in woe, it's going to end in destruction. Because death to, to the world is the biggest curse, right? And so they make a covenant with Assyria. That means that they're going to stand with Assyria, trying to rely on Assyria, but oil is carried to Egypt. That means they're going to try to hold hands with Egypt as well, but both nations are going to come against them. The world is never on your side. The world cannot give you anything. That's what you need to ingrain into your soul. That the world is not, does not give me any kind of gain, does not give me any kind of benefit. There is nothing to gain from the world. To your church members, this is what you need to preach and you need to emphasize that the world can give them nothing, that they will never, that there is no influence of the world that is beneficial to them. We need to hold the sword at the neck of the world. And, and I always say to even our businessmen that never compromise with the world. Even when you, when you work with another company outside, don't ever sell uh, your birthright to them. Do not allow them to control your destiny. Okay? The, your, the, your destiny needs to always be in your own hands. Okay, so make sure that when you can't make contracts with outside companies, to make sure that in that contract you are still in full control of at least your own things. Anyways, because you're not going out into the world to make money. No, you're going out into the world for glory. And so you do not need to sell yourself into slavery to the world in order to make money. That's, that's not important. So it's not just businessmen that this applies to. This applies to all people. Don't allow the world to have dominion over you. Do not allow the world to control you. Do not lose your glory. Do not sell your glory to the world. And this is something that I am, I am emphatic on, that if, if you have to quit your job, then quit your job. I'd rather have you quit your job because the world ultimately is, is, is a treasure that's going to burn tomorrow, right? And so why would you allow that world to have dominion over you? Why would you allow that world to control you? To us who live by the kingdom of heaven, there is not, the world cannot even benefit me 0.000001%. We are only living in this world because God allowed us to live here. That's all. Now, does that mean God will not take responsibility for you? No, He will be fully responsible for you. I'm going to His eternity, right? And He has given us this goal, and His goal is, is eternity. And so, are you going to sell that eternity for momentary, momentary gain? No, there is no... There is no gain to be had. When you think about it in the terms of eternity, there is no value to be gained, no treasure to be won in this earth, in this world. And so, and so sometimes I say to my church members, as kind of like a joke, that, that if you want to, if you think it's more comfortable to be a pastor, then everyone be a pastor. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an ordination, right? But now, of course, is your do you have calling or not? That that will, that changes things. But but we have too many pastors. 
we have too many pastors, and so I'm warning him with intense warfare, so, with warning, so that so he, he's working. So I'm going to give you swords each, and so which the last man standing will become pastor. There's more and more. Okay, Pastor Lee is coming in, Pastor Judy is coming in. And really, like, it's hard to live in the world these days, you know, um, with inflation, with runaway inflation and, and prices going out of control. It's really... And when prices rise because of inflation, they rarely ever go back down, right? Because once it goes back, once it goes up, now of course there may be disasters that cause things to uh, fall, prices to drop, but but that's not what we are wanting, right? And when prices go up, but I mean, that's not something to worry about. God will provide, amen? And so moving on to verse 2. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. As an indictment against Judah. And so now the Lord is, is indicting Judah, right? He is accusing Judah. And remember, God originally indicts the enemy. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Uh, when the world accuses Judah, God is Judah's defender, right? But because Israel lives by the flesh, God, instead of defending them, indicts them himself. And so we do not want to get to this point, this relationship where we are indicted by God. How good is God? He is always on my side, always always calling me righteous. And yet that God is now indicting me and bringing me to trial. So if we live by the flesh, this is the, this is your fate. But, and so, so he has an indictment against Judah. Because, because Judah remains, but they're still in the process. And so that's why only an indictment, not an, yet an accusation. And will punish Jacob according to his ways. So God is getting ready to visit for judgment. So remember, God needs to visit you all the time in purity and a visitation of life, right? That's the kind of visitation we want from God. And so that because he is someone who wants to do good for you, right? So moving on to verse 3 to 6. Verse 3 to 6 is now a call to repentance. And so he calls to repent, and in the womb he took his brother by the heel. And so he's he's showing that even from their fourth ancestor, they need to repent. And so there is a positive light to this, and there's also a negative light to to this to, to this um, scene. And today's prophecy is using this scene in a negative way, and so in this negative way to repent. So verse three: In the womb he took his brother by the heel. So ever since Jacob was born, he was ambitious. Right? He was he never wanted to lose to anyone. There's someone like someone like this amongst you, right? That Esau he didn't want Esau to be the firstborn. And so from the beginning he grabbed onto his heel so that he could go first. Right? Look at how ambitious he is. 
And so whatever methods is available to him, he's going to take what his, he wants. And so look at how deep these desires are embedded inside of us. And if you live by the flesh, that those desires will be uh, will be multiplied. And so you're going to start to try to use God. And so rather than looking for what God is pleased with and trying to be a pleasure to God, you try to make God be your pleasure. And so this is the reason why Israel turned God into Baal. Instead of looking for what God was pleased with, they keep looking for what pleases them from God. And so they keep trying to control God, trying to manipulate God. And this is the root evil, root wickedness of man. And many times I can see this even in me, actually. I can see this in me a lot. That I keep trying to manipulate God. I keep trying to control God to, to get what I want, to get what I desire. And so if you have a relationship of the Spirit with God, if you don't have a relationship of the Spirit with God, then these kinds of wickedness will constantly surface. These desires of Babylon will continually surface. And so it's as much as you entrust God, God will work among, in you. And as much as you entrust God, that is what will lighten your burden. But if you keep trying to manipulate God, trying to control God according to what you want, then this worldly desire continually grows inside of you. And you keep trying to ask God only for what, what you need, for what you desire, for what you want. And so... Now God gets confined to your mind, gets confined to the temple. And so God is no longer God in your life. He is just simply a genie. And so whenever the church was corrupted, the common factor is that God was confined to the temple. And you can see the pinnacle of that with the Catholic Church. Right? God is all only in the temple and he lives however he wants outside, but, but when he comes to church, he serves God. And so they keep doing things in the name of God, but ultimately it's what they want, right? And so that God is no longer Yahweh God, but it is God. So really, the, the church of this day and age, they're no longer serving God, but there's so many bowels in, in, in the church only seeking what they want and so this is Jacob Jacob is self-centered and lives by his strength and he is very Babylonian and so what was um, Jacob's mantra is make what the impossible possible so if it's impossible, make it possible. I think there's some amongst you who are like this. Actually, the people that I'm most worn, uh, the most wary of in our church is this person with a strong will. Because they always cause some kind of problem. For the past 32 years in my faith life, honestly, these, these strong-willed men are the ones who always cause problems. No one has ever failed to live up to my expectation regarding this. And so if pastors, you have this kind of character, 
you turn your church into your own kingdom instead of God's name, God's kingdom, it's your kingdom. That's that's the terrifying thing. So look carefully. Do I have this character inside of me? And I, or no, not do I, but look at the parts of this characteristic inside of me. As though I mean, of course, this applies to everyone differently, but. Throughout the mega churches, honestly, that I've seen all over the world, and honestly, look at Zoe Ministry. You need to understand that you are beloved by God because if you had a mega church, many of you would probably be this strong-willed man, including me. Including me, I'm not excluding me. But, but God kept you small. But look at all these mega churches. All of them have fallen to the, the trap of the devil, right? Whether it's Joel Austin's church in, in Texas or, or Hillsong in Australia. These are all churches that have been blessed by the devil. I can say this confidently. What about Korean mega churches? They're all their own kingdom. They're all making their own kingdom. What is evidence of that? There's no truth. There's no truth. And so look. When we proclaim this, this kind of truth, do you think tens of thousands, twenty thousands will, will come to our church? Okay, write, write a dissertation on this. See if you can write a paper on this. With the truth, do you think that a mega church can go hand in hand with the truth? This is the danger. This, this Jacobian, um, Babylonian tendency, it's really easy to fall to that trap. Because this is something that has been made throughout the time of history, throughout the history of time. And so, and so, like Jacob, this, this mantra of make the impossible possible. And so there are many people who have this kind of tendency. And so anyways, let's continue. So when we speak of Jacob, there's a lot of funny things to say, right? And so, and he will repay him according to his, or, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. So the important thing here is from a positive thinking, or God will not uh, neglect Jacob to remain in this ways. Because one reason is, is because Jacob has faith in God, right? And so that's why God is not going to leave him alone. He's not going to neglect him. And one reason why... Now, of course, he tried to understand the birthright and the promise of God in his own perspective, but he had faith that ultimately the birthright before God is important and the blessing of God is important. And so this is what allowed, this is what uh, God saw in him and did not allow this Babylonian tendency to remain in him. And so this is God's grace that he's never going to leave his children to live in a Babylon strength. 
And so, do not fall into despair when things are failing, okay? Because when you are failing, that's actually your success, okay? Your failure is actually your success. Let's say you were successful, then honestly, I would not be turning to God, right? If I did everything according to what my desire, I probably wouldn't be standing here before you today. And so, in your failure is actually your grace. And so, as I said this morning, what you lack, the, your, your smallness, the fact that you are worthless, do not despair of those things because of those things you have been chosen. And so, they should not be the source of your despair. So really, I've been telling you something that's really important right now, that our weakness, we boast in our weakness. That's what we need to understand. And so, Esau, or so Jacob uh, wrestles with God at the banks of Jacob, and he's about to die to, at the hands of Esau. And even in that mist, he's still so strongly willed, right? Even in that process, he's ready. He, he, he prepares everything so that he can escape with his life, right? He sends his children first. He sends his wives first so that he can, he can be the one to escape. And so look at how strongly willed he is in himself. Right? Look at look at look at who Jacob is. But and yet at the banks of Jabbok, Jabbok, when Jacob was alone, this was actually God's plan, and God wrestles with Jacob. And so at first, Jacob may have thought that this was a spy sent from Esau. But Jacob also is really quick, right? He's quick-witted. And so he realizes that this is a man sent from God. And so he's someone that he cannot overcome on his own. And so the flesh is the one that cannot bow before God. And so that's how dangerous that flesh is. And so anyways, let's continue verse 4. He strove with the angel and prevailed. And so it sounds like same thing as what we saw earlier. And in his manhood, he strove with God. But I don't know what, what text um, Hosea is using. So he said in his manhood, he strove with God and he strove with the angel and prevailed. And so remember, the, he wrestled with God. Whether it was an angel that was sent, either way, he was fighting with God. Or struggling with, wrestling with God. But here he's saying he strove with the angel. And so this is obviously talking about Genesis 32. And in chapter 32, verse 24, it says that a man, right? A man. And so whether that's Jesus before he came, it doesn't matter how you interpret it. It's all good. It's all good from our perspective. But, but in chapter 32, verse 25, it says, A man, and, and when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, and so look at how strongly willed Jacob was, that whether it was an angel or Jesus, he could saw he could not prevail against Jacob. That's how strong his flesh was. And then, and then at the second half of chapter twenty, of verse twenty-five, what does he do? He, he, uh, Jacob's hip was put out of joints, so he could no longer avail his strength. 
So Jose is saying that he strove with the angel and prevailed. It seems like he lost, and yet it says prevailed. Why does he say he prevailed? In 25, uh, and later we see that he has to always walk with a limp, and this is really important. So he became a nomad, a wanderer. And so he had to uh, cling to God. No longer did he uh, strive, but he, but he had to, um, what's it called, live with God. So, one moment. So instead of struggling, he had to cling to God, right? So it's not that we struggle with God. We need to cling to God. Those who are filled with their own strength, they're always struggling with God. Okay, and so it means you have your own strength. We need to cling to God. We need to cling to God. That Lord, may, according to your will, let it be done. And yet, why does it say he prevailed? Because if you look at chapter 32, verse 27 and 28, it says that his name was renamed, that he struggled with wife, God and prevailed. So he gave up his fleshly strength and chose to cling with God. And that means that he prevailed. So when a grandson fights with a grandfather, who's going to win? Okay, we're talking about like a baby, right? A baby, a newborn baby. Of course the grandfather is going to lose, right? He's going to lose to his grandson, for his grandson. And so when we live by the Spirit, he always loses to us. God loses to us. And so Colossians 2, I think verse 19, it says that Jesus is the head. And so hold on to the head. Cling to the head. It's because you're holding the body that you are, sh you are shaking. Right, when you look at the rode rodeo, right? Uh, if you hold the body of a bull, the bull goes crazy. You need to hold the head. It's when you hold the head that the bull cannot do anything. So we need to hold the head. We need to live by the Spirit that Jesus loses to us. So that's why it's, He prevailed. If we live by the flesh, we will be destroyed. And so, and so we became to a point where we can no longer prevail, and yet God calls it us, calls it our victory. And so, at the banks of Jabbok, he gave up on his, on himself, and he became Israel. He is no longer Jacob, but Israel. That he struggled with God and he prevailed. He is someone who can have fellowship with God. And by that grace, he met with his his brother and even his and so he he prevails against his brother right? so because he is at peace with God he is at peace with even his enemy so it's when we have the spiritual relationship with God then God brings to submission everything else around us and that is what he's he's talking about here in verse 4 and then he wept and sought his favor what does it mean he sought his favor so as he was struck on the hip and he saw the glory at Peniel, right? He's meeting with Esau and he wept and wept and sought the favor of his brother, right? 
And this is it, it's described in Genesis 33. And so we see Jacob weeping twice in Genesis. First, when he meets with Rachel uh, at the house of Laban. And then, so this thought, what this is describing now, is describing when he bowed to the ground low and met with Esau, and he said, I, When I look upon your face, it's as if I'm looking upon the face of God. And so all of this is when you are living by the Spirit, when you get rid of your strength and you live by God and He touches every aspect of your life. It's because my strength is alive that whether it's per people, money, finances becomes a thorn to me. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you, but it will not be a thorn to you. That's what it's going to be. That people, circumstances, money should not be a thorn to you. But the fact that these are thorns to you means that you are still responding in the flesh. You are still living in the flesh. So, and so when my children were little, my, my, my daughter Onyu, when I would ask her to kiss me, she would always say, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. But does that mean I hate her? No. It's about maturity and love, right? So no matter who may reject me, no matter who may dislike me, or who is not on my side, he is not going to be a thorn to me because I'm living in the Spirit. So are you all in glorification? Do you already, it's as if you already know this. So nothing under creation to someone who is in the freedom of glory will not be a thorn. It's the same thing with money, right? The world, world, uh, money is a thorn at its side, and it's because of the flesh, the strength of the flesh. And so, right now, God is is really um, convicting me with this word, uh, which is to um, bear with, right? Bear with. Bearing someone's weakness is different from forgiving someone's weakness, right? But Colossians 5.13 says to bear with the weaknesses of others. But if you cannot bear with them, you turn them your enemy. For example, let's say I like, I like fried rice, but you like fried noodles. Then, then you would not be, you would be uncomfortable with one another. But don't even t um, neglect that. You should not let neglect that un discomfort. You need to be mature enough that you can bear with one another for even these kinds of things. And then so that you can be able to uh, confess sins to one another and, and forgive one another. And this is a high level of faith. And these are the kinds of churches that God is establishing in these end times. And that's why I keep saying to our church members, you need to be transparent to one another. You need to be open to one another. You need to be able to show all your weaknesses, all your wickedness to one another. And so they're all being surfacing right now. They're all surfacing. Right now. And we're grateful for this.
So God, for the peace of Israel and Jacob, He opens everything, and that's what needs to be in you. And so the loss of personnel authority comes from the loss of, of spiritual authority. So it's not about moving people. It's not about moving the hearts of men. The, if the church cannot do something because of lack of people, because of lack of, of money, that should not be the case. Okay? That's not the case with the church. Okay, so not being able to do because of lack of people and lack of members is different, okay? When it comes to what God commands, He will always provide the people necessary. Okay? When we didn't have a drummer at our church, I would just lay, I laid hands on this one girl and this girl, she received that anointing and, and she started playing drums. That's personnel authority. And this is the authority God gives to those who are at peace with God. Personnel authority. But if you if you find obstructions here with people, right? Do not do not treat this lightly, especially you as pastors. That means that something spiritually is, is blocked. There is an obstruction spiritually. And so God, we need to be open to God and loosen this. And so, so if God didn't give to you, I'm not talking about things that God did not give to you or does not allow you, to, does not permit to you. But when it comes to what God has given you, what authority does He give you that, that, that you should not be limited by lack of people, lack of money? If you understand the essence of the church, if you understand that it moves according to God and you receive this in faith, then these things will unravel at your feet. But if you do not find it unraveling, it's because of these fleshly bindings. And so you need to get to the banks of the Jabbok and struggle with God and have your hip joint removed out of its point. And so that way you can see the glory of, of, of the dawn at Penuel. Now let's continue. He met God at Bethel. So he met God at Bethel. And so Genesis meets with God twice at Bethel, right? Where? Genesis 28. After meeting with after he runs away from Esau, he meets with God as, and, 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 and he calls that place Bethel, right? And so here, Jacob has not yet been brought to peace with Esau, right? And he's still living in his strength. Why? Because he keeps trying to deal with God. That, Lord, I anoint this place, and so now you need to protect me. If you allow me to return in safety, then I will give you a tithe of all I have, and I will worship you. So he tries to deal with God. So he's already trying manipulating God. Look at how arrogant he is, right? So he meets with God Bethel there, at, at Bethel there. But the second time he meets with uh Bethel is in Genesis 35. 
Right? He, became, he came to Pisa with Esau, and God told him to go to Bethel. But instead of going to Bethel, where did he go? He went to Sukkoth. And then after Sukkoth, he went to Shechem. And Shechem was a great city at the time. It was a city of the world, right? Babylonian city. And so he starts to get influenced by the world. So he loses the glory of Penuel. He loses the glory of, of, of Jabbok. And he's influenced by the world. Now, of course, he's still worshiping God, but he is influenced by the world. And so God can no longer acknowledge that worship. And that's what happens, the defiling of Dina. Dina gets raped by, this, by the sons of Shechem. And then so his sons, uh, Reuben and Levi, uh, annihilate the, the descendants of Shechem, right? And so with this news, the Canaanites would try to kill Jacob and his sons, right? And so he's going to be destroyed. And so when the children of God are influenced, they, they, this is what happens. They are led to destruction. God said to go to Bethel, and God will take responsibility, right? To live in the presence of God. That's why he's saying going to Bethel. This was what God commanded him, but he went to Sukkoth and then to Shechem. And so now his whole family is at risk now. And then so he meets with Bethel in the second time in this situation where this was the blessing of Jacob is that whenever Jacob is in crisis, God intervenes. And so it's not just Jacob in the Old Testament, but to you as well. It's always in your moment of need that he, he always intervenes. That's the faith you need to have. He is faithful in this way. So in chapter 35, verse 1, what does it say? God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So, now, in this time of crisis, what does he command Jacob? Instead of giving him an army, weapons, but he says, go to Bethel and worship. This is the command he gives. How amazing is our God to go to Bethel, go up to Bethel. And so, today's text has much meaning here, because to Israel, Instead of calling Bethel, he kept calling it Beth Avon, right? Instead of saying it's the house of God, it's the house of curse. But now here he calls it Bethel. Why? Because now through Hosea, Israel. Look at your ancestor Jacob. He went up to Bethel and met with God. And so in the same way, you need a new Bethel. And so in this situation, the way to solve this crisis is to meet with God in the new Bethel. And so, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, make an altar. And Jacob receives this word. And so, in verse 2, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So now he's saying, let's get ready for the right relationships, to get rid of everything that defiles them and get rid of all of that. And so, ah, 
we, the reason why we are unable to lift up the right worship to God is because of all these defiling things inside of us, these idols and, 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 and foreign gods and, and purify and change your garments. And so all this influence of the world, the th things that, that have defiled them to purify themselves and to cleanse them. So he takes back that holiness. And then in verse 3, then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may take make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So he makes a determination. Though all the Canaanites want to destroy me, I will not fear, but let's build an altar and go to the God who was served me, who, who saved me in my distress. So he's choosing faith, not his circumstances, but following after the glory of God. And then so they uh, buried all the filthy things at the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And then in verse 5, and they, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Look at this amazing work that God did. Look at, look at this amazing work, this great deed of God. Because he is obedient to God, even the surrounding cities were filled with terror that they could not pursue Jacob. And so, as we see in First Samuel as well, uh, that when Israelites worshipped God, that brought the victory against the Philistines. When God's presence is filled in that worship, there is victory. And this is the new Bethel. And so in verse 7, he builds an altar there and he calls it El Bethel. And so he worships God at Bethel. And they've been worshiping up until this point, but this worship here in verse 7 is El Bethel. There, God revealed himself to him. And so the, God, the thirst, uh, so the glory that he was thirsting after was there. He finally lifted up worship once again, the, the, the presence of God. And so through this one worship, he receives the blessing of God once again. And what is that blessing? Through this one worship, this one worship will change your life. And I, and I always say that, that through one worship, your life can be revolutionized. Your life will be changed. Because even my life was like this. Through that one worship, my life has been led by the glory of God. And so look at the blessing, verse 8. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so he called his name Alon Bakuth. So J Jacob has always been a mother's boy. Right, Jacob has always been a mother bo mother's boy. And he's such a mother's boy that even though his mother died, he still carried his, his mother's nurse. And so the fact that she was taken from him is showing that his inner wounds has been healed. And now Jacob, though Isaac is still alive, Jacob now acknowledges Jacob as the new leader of the generations. Even though Isaac's still alive, because he gives up this glorious worship, Jacob is now the leader. And so now look at the continually blessing. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And then in verse 10, God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. He gets that Israel once again, that Israel, that his name Israel is confirmed once again. And then verse 11, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And this is, again, uh, the blessing of leadership that God gave in Genesis 128 is being restored. 
and he's saying that a king shall come from your own body and saying that they will be a great nation. And through this one worship, all these blessings are restored. And so isn't this one worship worth it? Then God, and I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after, after you. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And the worship that I can never forget is the worship as I was in Austria, in the hotel, I was in the, in the bathroom, and the worship that I gave to God at that time. I confirmed that, that blessing of Genesis 128. And so I worshiped God at the hotel in Austria, and because my circumstances forced me to, and that worship I will never forget. Because, because at the, at, in Austria, that worship that I offered there is what led me to this point. Right? And so anyways, and so what happens? Verse 14, And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. In verse 15, so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, what? Bethel. But this is a new Bethel. Not just Bethel, but a new Bethel. And so the promise of a new Bethel. And so now let's go back to Hosea. And so this new Bethel. Hosea is saying to Israel the same thing, that just like your ancestor Jacob, you need to have a new Bethel. And so he's proclaiming a restoration of the worship. And so this cursed name of Beth Avon needs to once again become the place of God, Bethel. So what, and so you also need a new Bethel in, within you. That all the filthy defilement inside of you, the, the, that, that, that all the filthy things be buried at the terebinth tree at Shechem and meet with God, go arise and go to God and meet with him in the new Bethel. In verse 5, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. The Lord, the Lord, the God of hosts. So Yo, Jehovah, right? God, I am who I am, right? This is this word, right? Yahweh, I am who I am. This God who is always eternally in the present. He is the God of hosts. And so hosts is again symbol of of power, right? And so this God. This God, he's, he's, he's asking them to repent. And so, Jehovah, the God of hosts, right? Jehovah, the Almighty God. The Lord is his memorial name. So this name, we need to always consider his name. Remember his name. And what does that mean is, do not forget who he is. So remember, this is talking about life of Jacob, and so with that context in mind, to remember the Lord. This Jacob who lived by his own strength, even when he met with this Lord, this Lord transformed his life, met with him at New Bethel, and became your ancestor. And so in that same way, you also need to remember his name, that he can make this in you. Remember his name. And so, what does it mean to remember his name? To remember who he is, what he has done for me, and what he can do to always remember this. So, Israel, this is the most important thing to your life. So, if you look at it from the perspective of theology, Elohim, 
right? He is Yahweh, but he is also Elohim. So do not forget these two things. And I talked about this several times, right? From Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 verse 3. It's, it's uh, Elohim works, right? It's Elohim. He's described as Elohim. But chapter 2, verse 4 is no longer Elohim, but he's described as Yahweh, right? Yahweh. Why? Because the universe was made out of the power of Almighty God. But man has this special relationship. Why? Because Yahweh, this relationship with God. And so he is our creator God, but he is also the God who has fellowship with us. So without fellowship with this God, you cannot survive, you cannot live. And so do not forget this fact. And so, um, if you look at just the history of the universe, Elohim is more than enough. Because God is Elohim, that's more than enough. But to man, it's not Elohim, it's not enough. It's Yahweh. He is God who has fellowship with you. God who loves you. That He is the God who knows you in your distress. Elo Yahweh. Yahweh. This Yahweh is also Elohim. And so to man, so to universe, to creatures of this earth, Elohim is over. That, that's more than enough. But to humans, to man, to man who is created in his image, we need Yahweh. Yahweh. That Yahweh is with you. Emmanuel, he is with you. And do not forget that. To remember that. That he, this God loves you. And so Israel's duty is to remember this. So let's continue. Verse 6. And so you don't need to think anything else. Just remember him. Remember his name. That's all you need to meditate upon day and night. Verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Shub. What is Shub? It means to repent. And so this is how he is, this amazing being. And just like Jacob, he, your ancestor met with God and was blessed. And so in the same way, return, return. Hold fast to love and justice. And we talked about this love earlier in chapter 10, right? Chapter 10, verse 12. Right? Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. Right? And so hold fast to love and justice. Again, steadfast love and, 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 and righteousness. So this is love is, once again, uh, said and justice is Zedek. And so hold fast to love and justice. Right? God has this love and this righteousness for you. And in chapter 1, verse 3, what does it say? That, that God wants to get married to you, right? To Israel. Or chapter 2, verse 3. Oh no, chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 3. Chapter 3? Oh no, chapter 2, verse 20. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, right? I will be. Oh, it says also in 19, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I'm going to and so, what is the dowry that God is giving them? What is the dowry? It is righteousness and justice, steadfast love and mercy. And so when we get betrothed to God, 
the father gives us this dowry, right? Gives us this dowry, and he gives this dowry to Israel. So as we said this morning, when it comes to a hesed, it goes together with ahav, and this righteousness goes with with mercy, with love. And so hesed and zedek must go together. Okay, hesed goes with righteousness, and hesed also goes with ahav. So we talked about this earlier this morning, yes? And so, um, and so uh, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. And so, again, uh, pros, right? Wait for God, continually face towards God. And so to those, this is the most important thing to those who live by God, is to keep looking to God, keep looking to God. Don't look to the world like Jacob at Shechem, okay? Look to God, keep looking to God, especially pastors. Pastors, everything needs to be from God. Whether it's your, what is your hobby? It should be prayer. What do you like? It should be to preach. What should you like to do is to, is to, is the word of God, right? That should be your, your Alpha and Omega. That, what do you do well? Oh, I can bowl 300. Then that's wrong, okay? You should know nothing of the world, but, but all, everything should be in God. Pastors, that's how you should live. So pastors, you should not be good at anything, but only in God. God's in His kingdom. That you should not have to do anything else. What, do you, what are you good at? Now verse 7 to 15, or 14. He now once again uh, accuses Israel. A merchant. A merchant. And so this is the word Canaan, like the land of Canaan, right? But, and so when Israel went to Canaan, they should have purified the land and sanctified that land and filled it with God's holy presence. But because they did not live by God, they became like Canaan. And Canaan sounds like the word merchant. But what, there are good merchants, there are honest merchants, but most merchants, right, what image do they have? They have this uh, image of, of, of swindler, right? They, they try to take advantage. And so this Can Canaan that was influenced by greed, that was colored by greed, Israel became influenced by them. They, be they used lies to swindle their way to more profit. And so a merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. And so, so how far needs to our holiness needs to grow is to the point that we influence the world, right? That's the spiritual osmosis that should be happening. What is osmosis? Osmosis is there is a filter and that filter allows certain concentrations of, of solution to filter in to put balance on both sides. And so it's the same thing for us. We are that filter and we need to osmosis holiness into the world, right? And so how holy we, do we need to be that no matter how we, no matter if we go into the world, no matter how much the enemy tries to shake us, our holiness is not shaken. And so moving on, verse 8. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself and all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. And so look at how wicked Israel has become, that they call themselves rich that they proclaim loudly that I'm rich, right? That's 
That's what most rich people say when they, or many people who are about to die say. And then he also says that I have no iniquity or sin. And so now, of course, there are honest rich men. But for the most part, rich men, like the filthy rich men I'm talking about, like filthy rich people, what do they have to do? What do they have to do in order to gain their riches, right? How much do they have to stab people in the back? How much do they have to betray people? Money is not is not a doesn't have a soul and yet for money he sells he sells the blood of other people and so of course demons are going to fill that money even though money is inanimate it becomes a living thing because of what people put into it and so when people love inanimate things, they personify those things. And this is the wickedness. And so how wicked was Israel that he calls himself rich and yet says that there is no iniquity or sin inside of him. And yet how much blood was spilt, innocent blood was spilt for them. And so uh, that in all my labors, they cannot find any iniquity or sin. And so they're mistaken thinking that, that they are, have not committed iniquity, but they are covered in iniquity. And so eventually what they're going to do is they're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you are doomed, right? And so verse 9, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. And so finally, while they were slaves in Egypt, what does God who is God? This is Elohim Yahuwah, right? The Almighty God. But now, by by, I will make you. Uh, I will make you dwell in tents, as in the days of appointed feast again. So tents. What are these tents? As they lived in tents while they were in the wilderness, in the same way, uh, I'm going to lead you to the wilderness of Assyria so that you can live in tents again. So this is a prophecy of them being taken into captivity. And so they are judged because they are so callous to wickedness. They are callous to iniquity. God cannot help but judge them. He cannot help but take them to captivity because they can no longer repent. Their spirits are dead. And so moving on, verse 10, I spoke to the prophets. It is I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. And so he, they are in a state where they can't help but be judged. But this didn't happen all of a sudden. God continually sent prophets, multiplied visions, continually sent parables to to call them to repentance and yet they refuse to repent and so let's say you get caught in the flesh once it's very difficult to to swim yourself uh, free of that snare so it's better to avoid it altogether so moving on to verse 11 uh, if there is iniquity in Gilead, so Gilead, Bethel, Samaria, these are all places of worship. They're all places, high places and also uh, politically important places. And so these places should have been holy, should have been pure and whole and should have been good influence to, to Israel, but rather it became places of iniquity. And so if there's iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. They're also, and so this is again uh, alluding to idol worship. 
where they are sacrificing for fertility, for prosperity. And their altars are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. And so, it's, and so because they put stones on the furrows of the field, that field can no longer bear fruit, right? And so, do not, do not neglect your soul to this point, okay? And so, even if you don't get to this point, don't allow any uh, hardness to come into you. Okay, and so, so remember, pastors, as it says in Timothy, what is one of the requirements of a pastor is that you are blameless. And so, the, the, the level of holiness God demands from His pastors is different from the level of holiness that is asked of, of lay members. Why? Because you are to be blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? That there's nothing in my character that is closed off to God. There's nothing that cannot be revealed to God. And so if there's anything that is closed, anything that is bound that God cannot touch, there should not be any of these things. And so remember, God calls you as a pastor to be healers of the life, the soul of man. And so if you are close to certain aspects, if you are bound in certain aspects, then the enemy is going to kill you and bring about death of your flock. And so that's why God has this standard of being blameless. So let's say that you're close to greed and greed causes you to, to suffer or immorality. You don't know where your greed is moving, where your immorality is moving or, or deception, confusion. And so God's wisdom doesn't move. That's dangerous. And so even if one of these aspects is closed, there, there is great danger in that. So that's why as pastors, as pastors, if you are open to those things, you can easily fall. And so if you are open in one of these aspects, it's not easy for you to recognize that the enemy is attacking you there. And it's hard to, to even become aware. And especially the spirit of Jezebel likes to use these things to control you little by little bit attacking you so that you cannot close yourself off to him. And so the most important thing as a pastor is every day to uh, meet with God and to meet with God one-on-one -on -one and, and have fellowship with God. But, and, and pastor is a is a work where you have to keep meeting with people. Now, of course, there are times where you meet with good people and be blessed. But at the same time, most of the time, you are meeting with the sick, right? Right, you are meeting with the sick. And because you're meeting with the sick, that sickness is contagious, right? It'd be great if everyone was in a good place. But most people that you meet with, they have problems. They're filled with their problems and they're always complaining and nagging you. And so, of course, my life is going to be weighed down by that burden. And so as you're meeting with this darkness, you can't help but also be tainted. And so, and so you might become callous to that. And that means that some part aspect of you is closed. And so if you start closing yourself to those things, then you are no longer aware to, of those things. And so you, that means you, are, you cannot be called blameless. And so that pastor 
you should not put priority on meeting with people, but their priority should be meeting with God. And so, look, why do you think I pray early in the morning? Because during the day, there's so many people, right? So many people that will that will um, de- that will demand your attention. So many things demand your attention. And so, in order to have this alone time with God, I pray early in the morning. And so, without this alone time with God, you will not be able to recognize those things. And there are many pastors who are also very innocent and so innocent and, and gullible. And so they like to meet with people. And that's, 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 that's dangerous. Okay, I'm not telling you to, to despise meeting people, but your priority should be where? Meeting with God. Your priority needs to be meeting with God. That needs to be the principle of your life. Now, of course, living this way may cause a lot of exhaustion. It may be tiring. But, but it's not easy to make Him your priority. But this is something that you really need to determine that, 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 that your prayer time will not be taken from you. And so, and so now that they know that I wake up 2, 3 in the morning, these, these, these guys, they call me at that time. <laughs> so, so what a pain, right? What a pain. But anyways, this... This is the boundary of holiness that God expects from His pastors. And so you need to understand that that, that that blamelessness is important. And so if you are open to all the attacks of the devil and you are closed to receiving this conviction from God, then that is going to cause lots of problems in your pastoral ministry. And so you need to be blameless. So, and so though you may not be able to recognize the fault directly yourself, but you need to be open to God to receive His, His, His conviction. And you need to open up every channel to the Holy Spirit to convict you. This is really important. And so... So you cannot say that one pastor is going to know every aspect of the church, but but the church needs to know the current of the church, right? Let's say that someone, someone or associate pastor or lay member does something without my knowledge at all. Like, like, like let's say I'm not aware of it at all. That's dangerous, right? Like let's say, for example, these, these pastors who have all these doctorates, right? Let's say that they went to a church member and said, hey, let's make something of our own. That's dangerous. And that's why I kicked out Pastor Cho. Or not kicked out, I chased out. No, I'm just joking. I, I'm, this is just a joke. Do you want to come back? So verse 12. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. So again, he speaks Jacob again. So from verse 12, now he's showing God's wrath, right? And Jacob fled to the land of Aram. And so, and so all these aspects of Jacob can be seen in both positive light and negative light, but Hosea is using the negative light here. So Jacob fled to the land of Aram. After he betrayed Esau, he's running away from Esau and he goes to Laban, right? So he fled to the land of Aram. 
So Israel, because he was self-centered and living by his methods, living by his thoughts, he fled. In, and so it's like them being taken into captivity. And then, and there Israel served for a wife. So no matter how great that a woman may be, are you going to be a slave for 21 years just so that you can earn the right to marry a woman? Look at how, look at how much this mantra took part of his life that make the impossible possible. So, so we shouldn't put pe make people a priority, but because you are influenced by the world, Israel started to put priority in people. And so this is my expression, that God has, is wild. And so if that wildness is taken away from you, that's dangerous. Look at the lions in a zoo. They are not, they are not living. Right? They are eating what they are fed and they losing their essence. And if they lose their essence, you cannot call them living. And so if you're influenced by the world and that the world comes you come closer to the world, you lose that wildness. You are a tiger and instead of roaring like a lion, you are like a tiger, you are purring like a cat. And so you're Prayer should be roaring like a tiger, but you are purring like a cat. And so because you're purring like a cat, the only thing that runs away from you are rats. And so I can see it when I listen to your prayer that, oh, this one is dead. And so this is really important. If you're influenced by the world, you lose that wildness. Okay, you need to roar like a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> and for a wife he guarded sheep now being a shepherd is not a bad thing but but this is describing his 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 desire for survival overcoming his faith in God and so he's becoming centered in the flesh and so I said throughout this entire conference don't let your pastoral ministry be your burden Okay, if it's a burden, you are responding in the flesh. Pastoral ministry is a heavy burden to you. This is very dangerous. Okay, if pastoral ministry becomes your burden, I don't know what to compare it to or what you should do, but, but really, be warned that God doesn't want anything to be a burden to you. And, and honestly, it shouldn't be a burden to you. It's because you live in the flesh that it becomes a burden to you. And so let's finish verse 13 and 14. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. So he's speaking of Moses here. So remember, we talked earlier about the cords of man, right? The cord of kindness, right? Because God has this love of Ahav, and so he could not do it himself. And so he used the man Moses, and so this prophet, through this prophet, he took them out of Egypt. And by a prophet, he was guarded. And so through these various prophets, he, the Israel was guarded, was maintained. So this is God's consideration of love. So as we said earlier, Jesus, the reason why he came as a man, 
It's because of this. It's because of the love of God. The love of God. Because He loved us. He came to this world as man. So verse 14. So we're almost finished. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. And so, and so God is, is enraged, right? And so His Lord will leave His blood guilt on Him. And so they're always going to be suffering warfare and be taken captivity by these great nations. And so, and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. And so this disgraceful deeds, this shame, the shame of Israel. Israel loses their dignity and privilege as a chosen race, right? And so, as we said this morning, or we're, no, we're going to close this sermon. And we spoke of Jacob at length. And so if you live by the flesh and you stand before God, you will not be praised or receive grace or reward. There is nothing that you can expect living in the flesh. But So you cannot gain anything by living in the flesh. And so for this reason, it's so important that your flesh dies that God sent His only begotten Son. And so if we believe, then we, if we truly believe this fact, then we will not even tolerate living in the flesh for a moment. And so we should not ever allow any aspect of our soul to get so hardened that we cannot respond. And so if you live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will reveal this to you. You do not need to make it of your own. The Holy Spirit is going to keep revealing this because the Holy Spirit wants to send things to you, wants to keep flowing things to you and will show you where that obstruction is. And so this new Bethel, to you as an individual and to your church, that we would have this new Bethel. Let us pray. So tomorrow will be finished. So tomorrow, verse thirty or chapter thirteen, and tomorrow night, chapter fourteen. Okay, there are a lot of interesting and fun things in chapter thirteen and fourteen. So what? And so when I say there is something fun, that means that there is an amazing revelation, amazing prophet. And so let us pray. And brothers, uh, cling to the lifeline of prayer and let the indwelling Holy Spirit unravel, unleash, unleash the Holy Spirit within you. And so at the very least, right now it's 11.15. And so pray. And, if, and get rid of that mantra to make the impossible possible, okay? And so as we pray, I'm going to lay hands on you. And let's pray deeply. And so it's around 17. And so at the very least, pray 30 minutes. <coughs> and let today's message circulate inside of you. And this new Bethel. That Lord that Lord like Jacob that if you give true worship he will give you new things and bless you 
And so go ahead and turn off the lights and let us pray. Lord, today, to all of us, lead us to the new Bethel. And so, Lord, be present in this place powerfully and all the filthy things, may we get rid of it and, pure, and, and bury it under the terebinth tree and meet with us, Lord, in this new Bethel. Let us all pray all together.